had a mother, a good mother, didn't you? Yes, I did. And I've asked Christine if she would uh, share with you uh, about her mother and the influence that her mother had on her life that reaped enormous dividends in that third generation. So, if you would, Christine, hold that microphone right up there and let us hear from you. It's a joy to speak about my mother today. My mother's name was Sadie Teresa Del Vecchio. She was a godly woman. She loved Jesus with all her heart. She was the third from the oldest of 13 children in an Italian immigrant family from Sicily. Her mother died at a very young age, and my mother became the mother of all the younger children. She came to know Jesus in her late teens when her brother, James, who later on became a minister in the Church of the Brethren, he attended a young adult program in the Calvary Church of the Brethren in Brooklyn, and he would come home and tell my mother all about it. He gave her a Bible, and my uncle now, who is the last of the uh, 13, who's still living, tells me that my mother would sit for hours and copy the New Testament into a notebook. When I was a little girl of about three, it was my mother who told me all about Jesus. She was a great storyteller, and my childhood was filled with stories and songs all about the Bible. All of this before I ever stepped foot into a church. I knew Jesus. My mother taught me that prayer was just talking to God. And she would sit near the window, look out, and talk to God for long times. She would talk to me about how beautiful heaven was. And she would tell the story over and over how when I was a little girl, I would say to her, Mommy, I want to go there right now. She read scriptures every day, and I cherished having her Bible, reading all her little notes, and seeing where she underlined verses. So many verses were special to her, but she seemed to like the best, Acts 17, 20, which says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And that was true of her life. My father, Joseph, was also a godly man. He carried his Bible everywhere he went. He was called the deacon, but it didn't bother him when people would make fun of him. He told all who would listen about Jesus. My mother was the best cook in the world. She was famous for her excellent cooking. She would laugh when we would go to an Italian restaurant and she would see all these fancy names of meals and foods like frittata, she would say, well, that was just a poor man's dinner of potatoes and eggs when we didn't have any money left. <laughs> Pastor John asked me the other night, didn't my mother sing? My mother sang all the time. In fact, she would make a song out of everything that we did. When we walked, when we talked, when we cooked, when we ironed, there were always songs. When my mother was in her early 90s, she started having trouble walking, and it became evident that she couldn't live alone any longer. Putting her in a nursing facility was the hardest thing that I did so far. Yet she took it in stride. She would tell me, cheer up, I'm fine. God is with me, he never leaves me. And she would sing praises to God. My mother went to heaven in June of 2008. 
And a few nights before she died, and Elias and I went up to see her, she looked so frail. And I remember walking into the room and seeing her in the bed, and she was lying on her side, and just her little face holding on to the railing. And I was so upset, and I ran to her, and I bent down low, and I said, Mommy, are you all right? What do you think she did? She sang me a song. In the little breath that she had, she started to sing. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. She sang the whole song. And this was only a few days before she died. Here she was, my mother, strong and brave, teaching me from her deathbed what a life looked like trusting God. My mother was absolutely confident in the Lord. She would tell me that you have to accept change and that God is with you in every change in your life. So much of who I am today is a result of my mother and what she's instilled in me. When I think about my childhood, I think about that little children's song that says, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And what does Jesus say? He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose up, the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. I am forever grateful to God for giving me such a solid foundation of faith, giving me such a wonderful mother who exposed me to God at such a young age. Mother's Day has always has been very difficult for me for the past 10 years. After losing my two sons, yet here I can stand today because it's the Lord who consistently turns my focus away from my losses into the many joys, gains, and celebrations of my life. My mother was one. We praise the Lord for the life of your mother, Christine, and for the joy of knowing her through you. And we thank you that you're a mother to many of us in this church, and we look to you and to what you represent, representing Jesus Christ and the love of God to us, and we honor you today. Being a mother is no walk in the park. Mothers do more than just keep us alive. Mothers shape us. Mothers touch us. They nurture us. And they do so much. You heard the story of a, a junior high science teacher who taught his class all about magnets and how powerful magnets can be, even a magnet lifting up a car. 
And so the next day, he gave his students a pop quiz in their science class, and the first question in the pop quiz was, my name starts with M, I have six letters in my name, who am I? And I pick up things, who am I? And half the class wrote, mother. <laughs> you know, it's said that, that uh, mothers spend about 18,000 hours doing chores because they have children. 18,000 hours of child-generated work. That means that those particular women who don't have children have about three months a year of extra discretionary time because they don't have children. Again, it reminds me of a of a father who was trying to explain marriage to their four-year-old daughter. And, the, the, and uh, to, to try and get it figured out, the, the dad got out the wedding album and he pointed out the pictures. And, uh, and there she was and there he was in their finest on their wedding day. And the little four-year-old girl, she looks up and she says, Daddy, is that the day mommy came to work for us? <laughs> We really, we, we don't know. We don't know all that they do. Do you have that video clip? Let's see if this one will work. Maybe it will. Let's see. You see, there is a nurturing instinct that is unique to moms. We talk about a mother bear, and what do we say when there's a mother bear and cubs? What should you not do? Don't get in between them. Pity the guy who gets between the mother bear and the cubs. Why? There is a protecting instinct. There is a nurturing instinct. Where does that come from? Well, in fact... It comes from God. 
because women are made in the image of God. And so that nurturing instinct is given. Now, it's given to fathers. Fathers, some of you single dads especially, we honor you. You have a nurturing, caring instinct, and fathers should have that. But there is something unique and given to mothers, and it's given to the church. And the church of Jesus Christ, in some sense, is a mother to us. Nurturing. We say here, you know, as a church family, we say we want to celebrate the gospel, we want to communicate the gospel, and we want to cultivate the gospel. And that cultivation, there it is, there's that, we're a nurturing church. And we learn that from God, and we learn that from our mothers, many of us in this life. There are some great portraits of motherhood in Scripture. Uh, that we could read and study. We've studied some of them. Last year at this time, we studied Proverbs 31, and that Proverbs 31 woman whose children rise up and call her blessed. There's the story of the mother of Moses who broke the law and took the risk in opposition to Pharaoh and taught her son about the things of God. There's that crazy mother of James and John who who came up and tried to get some status for her son so that they could sit at her right and her left. And as, uh, as maybe a little off base as she was, oh, how she wanted to see blessing on her boys. And today, I want to point out some of my favorite moms in Scripture, and their names are Eunice and her mother Lois. Two remarkable women that we often pass over in Scripture. They were the mother and grandmother of a man named Timothy. Timothy. Are you familiar with Timothy in the Bible? There's actually two letters written to him by the Apostle Paul, and he's one of the heroes in the book of Acts. Apparently, there was this woman named Eunice, raised in a religious Jewish home, who married a Greek man who was not religious. And so Eunice essentially took it upon herself to teach her son the the ways of God. And perhaps her father died because we are told her mother Lois came to live with her. Her mother Lois, who also was a very devout woman. And together, the two of them, without veggie tales, without vacation Bible school, the two of them taught little Timothy the things of God. And we know this because when Paul is writing to Timothy, he writes these two verses, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Two verses that we usually ignore when we read the Bible. You see, there are these certain verses of the Bible that we just love, like John 3.16. Everybody knows, everybody should know John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? And we know, but, but does anybody here have John 3.15 or 3.14 memorized? You know, we, we rush over John 3.14 and 15 to get to John 3.16. Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we have a verse that is one of the most important verses in the Bible. And it's, uh, 
It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This one verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, is foundational to our doctrine of Scripture so that we believe Scripture is God-breathed, theopneustos, by the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's an important verse, John 2, 2 Timothy 3.16, but what about poor little old 2 Timothy 3.14 and 15? And sometimes we miss those verses. Here's what they are. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says, all Scripture is God-breathed, and he gives us the great doctrine of Scripture. But we rush over those verses where he just says, hey, remember your mother and your grandmother. He gets very nostalgic. Remember your mother and your grandmother and the impact they had on your life. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And as Christine spoke to us, what did she say about her mom? What did her mom do? <laughs> her mom was always reciting Scripture, always writing Scripture down, actually writing it in her own notebook. Why? She already had the Bible, but she wanted it to go through her mind and through her hand and onto the paper so it became infused as a part of her soul so she could then in turn give it back to her children. Do you know the Shema that every little Jewish boy learns from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And what does he say next? Pay, pay attention. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And apparently, Eunice and her mother Lois are living examples of Deuteronomy 6. And they impressed it upon young Timothy as a young boy. They nurtured him and gave him a love for the Scriptures as the mother church should do for all of us and as we should do in our own families. Why do you think Moses said, do it with the kids? Shouldn't you wait till they're 13 or 14 before you start doing that? And of course, the answer is no. And the reason is because children are like wet cement. Some of you contractors here in our church you know, you work hard, you dig out the sidewalk, you build the forms, right? You get them just right at level where you want them. You, you wheel in the, in the cement. Sometimes the truck comes. Other times you've got to wheel it in and you pour it into the form. You smooth it over and it sits. And some local yokel comes along and what does he do to your beautiful sidewalk? You know, he puts his fingerprints down in it. He writes his name. Well, 
and then it hardens. And what we need to know is that children are like wet cement, and they are impressionable, and so as they are young, like Timothy was young, Lois and Eunice did not wait, but they taught their children three things. They taught the, the young Timothy to learn the Scriptures, to love the Scriptures, and to live the Scriptures. And you'll hear those words from us a lot. As elders, we were recently talking in a meeting. What do we want for our youth ministry? What do we want for our children's ministry? And that's what we want. We want them to learn the Scriptures. We want them to love the Scriptures. And we want them to live out a personal relationship with God to live the Scriptures. That's what Eunice did with young Timothy. Faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. So a nurturing faith is going to give us the love and the uh, learning and the living of the Scriptures. Second thing you see comes from 2 Timothy 1.5. As Paul is thinking about Timothy, he gets again nostalgic and he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. That is so beautiful. That is the, the generation to generation to generation. A sincere faith. Now, this is really meddling. Because kids know whether or not it's authentic in you. They know. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who have said over the course of their life, well, yeah, you know, my mom dropped me off at Sunday school, but she never went. Oh, yeah, um, my parents made me take the, the religious classes, but they were never involved. And I've, I've heard that by, from so many people. And it has taken them years, sometimes decades, to sort of get back into experiencing a personal relationship with God because, well, frankly, I mean, we're not blaming the parents, but what we're saying is there was not an authentic faith. And what Paul is praising Eunice for and Lois for is he's saying, She's the real deal. Your mom was the real deal. Your grandmother was the real deal. I am so proud of the parents in this church who are alongside their children as active worshipers, as those who model a life of devotion, who model a life of love, and who say, who confess their sins, who acknowledge their shortcomings, and then who, in turn, the children look and say, this is real in mom's life. This is real in dad's life. And I want it too. It affects the priorities. You know, I mentioned the mother of James and John. You can, is there any parent here who cannot relate to the mother of James and John who wanted her kids to succeed We all 
want our children to flourish in life. Is that a bad thing? No, that's a good thing. Pity the parent who doesn't have a concern for the development and uh, the success of their children. Do we all want our children to be popular? We all want our children to be popular, to have friends. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Do we want our children to have a social status that, that makes there to be a sense of accomplishment for them? We all want them to have status, but look at your sermon outline because it is a wonderful thing to have someone in your life who is actually more interested in your soul than in, than in your body or your clothes. Sure, we want our kids to be well-dressed and we want them to have good fashion, but do you care about the soul more than you care about their clothes? Do you care more about their eternal life than about their success in this life? Do you care more about their relationship with Jesus than their popularity in this world? Priorities. Do you care more about their standing before God or their standing in the social calendar? Are you on the A list, the B list, the C list, or the D list? You want your child to be have standing? Of course you do, but their standing before God is infinitely more significant. And are you more interested in their spiritual development than their musical or intellectual or athletic accomplishments? What is most important? We see from Eunice, we see from Lois, we see from the Bible itself what are the most important priorities in life. And it's never too late to gain those priorities. Moms and dads, I don't care how old you are, how old your children are, your adult children are, it's never too late. Because Christine Anchundia told us that her mother did not stop discipling her until her last breath. Do you understand? It never ends. And parents will tell you that you never stop being a parent. And you never stop nurturing, influencing, discipling your children. You never do. And then the next generation after them. Priorities. It's really about priorities, isn't it? Now, what this means for me is that if I want to instill an authentic faith in my progeny, in my children, I better have an authentic faith in my life. I can't just talk the talk. I need to walk the walk. Does this make sense to you? Some of us might be saying, well, I, gosh, I'm, I'm really behind in this race. Well, that's okay. Today's the day. Today's the day to kind of say... I'm making a new start. It's never too late. Christine's mom <laughs> kept it going till she was in her 90s. It's never too late. But there was in the family this fertile faith development, and Paul saw it, and he was so grateful for Lois and Eunice. Well, the third thing about a nurturing faith, and this is really cool, the third thing about a nurturing faith is that it prepares children to minister to other people. And what we see in Timothy's life is it's, it's captured in, 
in Acts chapter 16. Because apparently, after the Apostle Paul preached in the town of Lystra, and Timothy was converted, and Eunice was converted, uh, and they, they, Paul comes, he preaches in these towns, and Lois and Eunice hear him talk about this man named Jesus. And as they hear Paul preach, they become persuaded that all of the Old Testament prophets pointed forward to the great prophet, Jesus. And all of the Old Testament priests pointed forward to the great priest, Jesus. And all of the Old Testament kings pointed forward to the king of kings, Jesus. And they were converted to him. And they became followers and disciples of Jesus. And so did Timothy. And then we read, he came to Lystra and He came to Derbe, then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Spoke well of who? Spoke well of Timothy. And then Paul wanted to take him on his missionary journey. Is that cool or what? And just notice something about Timothy. First of all, the book of Acts, written by Luke, does not just call Timothy a believer. He uses a particular word, a high-energy word, to describe who Timothy is. He called him a disciple. A disciple is a learner, somebody who is given to following after Jesus. Apparently, that's what young Timothy already was. It's kind of no-holds-barred faith. I'm sold out. And then it says he had a good reputation. I like this. Apparently, in his own community, he was respected by other people. And there was gossip, or we call it good gossip, about Timothy. He's a good guy. You can count on Timothy. How do you think Lois felt when people would say of her son, you can really count on him. You see, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful testimony. Apparently, throughout these two villages or these towns, you knew if there was somebody you needed to be alongside you, it was going to be Timothy. And then, the third thing is he was available to Paul. Paul wants to take him on this journey. And as you continue to read through the book of Acts, apparently, Timothy was ready to go. He was ready to minister. And even if it meant facing hardship... Friends, there is no way that this kind of willingness to walk the difficult road just happens naturally. It was nurtured at home for him. It's a beautiful thing. Whether you're a mother or not, men, women, singles, please understand that what we want to do is we want to nurture people in the faith in a way that, number one, teaches them to love, learn, and live the Scriptures. And then, number two, to cultivate an authentic faith in them that's real, not hypocritical, that's sincere, that's sold out, yes. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you, if you stop there, it is insufficient. Numbers one and number two are only preliminary. In order to get to number three, which is that we prepare our children and each other to actually minister 
the grace of God, to be available to minister the grace of God so that your children can reach out to others in our church and in their schools and to go to the hurting people and be the ones who come alongside and says, let me help you, let me be with you. That our young people are willing to go on these mission trips and they're willing to go and be involved in these outreaches. You see, that's a beautiful thing. The truth of the matter is this. Are you ready? We are saved in order to serve. Does that make sense to you? It's not, we are saved, period. I think that's what some of us sometimes think. You're not saved, period. You're saved in order to serve. You are equipped in order to evangelize and be the witness that Jesus has called you to be. And so it is with your children. You are sanctified so you can make a difference in a lost and dying world. Let me see if I can bring this all together because, you see, there's no simple to-do list. We are disciples of Jesus, just like Timothy was a disciple of Jesus. We want the Scripture that points us to Christ. We want the faith that unites us to Christ. And we want the life that glorifies Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. So simply given to us in the testimony we heard and in the passages that we read. Well, what do we do now? We now come to the Lord's table. We come to the Lord's Supper. And every one of us, every one of us now has to place ourselves in the Timothy place. And as you partake in the Lord's Supper... Would you ask God to renew your love and devotion to His Word? For Timothy, it was how since infancy he learned the Scriptures. Maybe you're in your spiritual infancy. Well, that's fine. Will you today say, Lord, renew my love for Your Word? Maybe some of us have a weak faith. We have a struggling faith. Some of us might say it's not very authentic. I have it on Sundays, but not on Mondays, you see. Would today, as you feed on Jesus Christ, would you ask Him for that kind of day-in, day-out, sold-out, authentic faith that lives for Him? He'll give that to you. But then number three, am I available to serve, to give my life? To make the sacrifices that show the priorities that the Lord is number one in my life. Well, this communion table then is for you and for me as we are called back to this place. Maybe you say, I need forgiveness for my sins, for my, my lack, lackadaisical attitude in these things. Well, then communion is for you to come and be completely forgiven and to be renewed and to say today is the first day of the rest of my life and I'm going to move forward with that same divine energy in Him. Well, then let's do that together now. So let's bow our heads and let us pray. I invite the elders to come forward. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to nurture us, our Father in heaven. We thank You for Your nurturing instinct in us, that you've made us to be disciples. 
We thank you what we, for what we learn about the nurturing instinct from mothers. But, Lord, we really want it from you. So during this time that we will have as the bread is distributed in silence, we invite you to do business with each of our hearts. Oh, Lord, we are hungry for you. We are thirsty for you. Come and slake our thirst. Come and solve our hunger, our spiritual hunger, we pray. We ask for our children that when that day comes, for them to partake in communion too, Lord, that they would feed on you with vigor and live for you with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. He broke it, and He gave it to His disciples. As I, ministering in His name, give it to you. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we distribute the bread, would you just invite the Lord to encourage, correct, rearrange your life as you live for Him?